Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Are we on here? I'm on number two. Is it? Might turn it up. Check, check, test, one, two. Okay. I just can't hear myself. That could be a sign of the time to come, right? <laughs> Good to see you. You doing all right today? Hey, pretty girl. She's like, he looked at me. It's so good to see you today. So glad you're here. So glad that you made the choice to come to the the Lord's house today and worship. You know, even the, the, the noises of that young lady right there. That's worshiping the Lord. That's that brings the Lord glory. Because he's the one who's the giver of life. He just enjoyed creating that little girl in her mother's womb. And she's going to let us know about it today. So that's a good thing. We're glad to have the sounds of all ages here in our church body. Except you don't get to cry. Well, it is good to have you. If you're visiting with us and you've never filled out a visitor card, hopefully you find one somewhere around you if you would fill it out. Or you can actually take your phone out, turn on the camera, and take a picture of that scan me section on the left side of the inside of the bulletin. And you can find a spot there online to fill out a digital card. Or if you're watching us online, there's a description in the video below. uh, Description below the video. And there's a link there you can click. We'd love to know that you're worshiping with us few announcements. Um, choir is planning to kick back off. If you've been missing it, I know that there are some that have been anxious for choir to happen. I think James is included in that. Okay, good. Um, so if you have um, questions about choir, see James, but there's going to be a meeting in the choir loft uh, two weeks from today, August 22nd, 5.30 p.m. Uh, starting tonight, our children are going to start practicing a song that, that will be sung during morning worship. So practice will begin tonight at 6.30. Where do they need to meet? Uh, fellowship Hall. Fellowship Hall. So if you would have the kids, drop your kids off at the Fellowship Hall. Uh, tonight's our business meeting, and it is your right and your privilege and your responsibility to participate in these meetings. So please make every effort to attend. Also, there's help needed on Wednesday nights. If you're interested in helping with the Wednesday night children's ministry, please reach out to Brooke. Um, She may be reaching out to some of you already. Um, Also, it's that time of the year for our Arctic Barnabas Blessing boxes. We're going to ship out another set of boxes around September 15th. If you're interested in helping out with that, um, there's a, a sign in the foyer and a box, and there's a list of things Uh, on that sign that you could bring and donate to the boxes. And again, those will ship out sometime around September 15th. I want to read a thank you card. Dear church family, the Braun family wishes to thank all of you for your prayer, support, and kindness shown to us on Ed's passing. Words can't express how grateful we were to those who helped in so many ways, especially Pastor Shannon, who stopped by several times to help in the planning for the service and making it available to our own family out of town who couldn't be here. We thank Christy and Denise for providing the music, Chuck for the poem he wrote, and Nell for making flowers for the Fellowship Hall dinner. Also, Barbara for organizing the food planning, and of course, thank you for all the delicious food you brought. Cherokee Baptist Church is blessed to have such caring and devoted people to Christ. Thank you for caring. It was a great comfort to us, the bronze. 
Any other announcements before we have our call to worship? Well, I'd like to read to us this morning from Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It will never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes. For He comes to to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. We have much to be happy for and to be joyous for, to be thankful for. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. children will come forward for the children's sermon.
morning. Do you guys like waffles? You do? What do you like to put on your waffles? <laughs> Syrup and butter. What else? Strawberries or blueberries or no. I have this I have an awesome new waffle maker that will make two waffles at one time. Wow, that is cool. <laughs> is that cool or what? And another favorite thing of mine is milkshakes. Y'all like milkshakes? I like to put cold milk and bluebell <laughs> vanilla ice cream and chocolate syrup in here and turn it on. Best chocolate milkshake ever. So I have, do you think that I could pour my waffle mix in here and turn it on and get a waffle out of it? Do you think that would cook it? Do you think I could pour my ice cream and chocolate syrup in here and get a milkshake? I don't either. In fact, I don't think I'm going to try because I think it would make a huge mess. A weird waffle. That's right. A weird waffle. That's right. So waffle makers are made to make waffles and blenders are made to make milkshakes, right? Well, you know what I see sometimes is that God creates us for a specific thing that he has planned for us to do. That's what the Bible says right here in Ephesians. It says, for we, and he's talking to the people in the church, he chose us before the foundation of the world, and he decided ahead of time what good things we were going to do. And if he made you to be a teacher and he gave you all the gifts that you needed to be a teacher but you looked up here and you saw James being this fabulous music director and you thought I think I'd rather be a music director I don't think you'd be very good at it because that's not what God created you to do it says right here that he decided ahead of time what good works you would do and so he gave you the gifts to do it. Uh, he gave you the talents. He gave you the experiences in your life to be exactly what he designed you to be. So if he designed you to be a waffle maker, you're not going to make very good milkshakes, right? Okay, let's pray. Father God, I just praise you this morning for each of these precious children here. Father, I just pray that you would invade their hearts with your Holy Spirit and turn them into new creations to glorify you, Father, to be exactly what you designed them to be, to build up the church with their talents and their gifts. Father, I thank you. Thank you for each of them. I thank you for their parents and their grandparents for bringing them up to know who you are. For it, it is by hearing the word that we come to faith. Father, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I won't say which one of my children, but one of my children wanted to be a light bulb when they grew up. So. A light bulb, yeah. You don't kill the dream, right? 
going to sing this song over you. The words will be on the screen. And I welcome you to sing along with us as soon as you pick up the melody. So it might sound familiar.
God, we worship you. In Jesus, Son of God, our Savior and our Lord, we say that to you this morning. All glory be to you. We cry out to you because without the blood you shed on the cross, we are hopeless and destitute. And God, as we've talked about this morning, that that there is a place waiting for us. And there will come a day when we will see our hopes turn into reality. And we, we shall be seated in, in front of the throne of God and we will praise you. We will gather at that river and we'll just worship you because of the constant glory that comes from you. And we will sing all glory be to you, Jesus. Be glorified in us this morning as we sing about our hope. As we sing about the future that only Jesus has brought. Let's stand together. single
grace of God rose. God, speak the gospel into our life this morning. Let us leave here with repentant hearts, looking just a little more like you. In the name of Jesus Christ, alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, take your copy of God's Word, turn in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. Turn to the back of the Bible, find page 150, 150, and you'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. Our verses today are verses 3 through 14. In the Greek, it's one sentence. And if that sentence showed up in Charles Perry's English class, it would probably have something on there like an R-O, as in run-on sentence. Uh, We just don't speak like that, but that's how Paul was speaking. And uh, considering what he was speaking about, it's almost like a... I remember one time, Kyson, uh, I was was in here in the office, and Kyson's impatience were up here. Kyson comes running into my office, and I mean, it was just this long string of stuff. I had no idea what he was saying, but boy, he was wound up about it. Now, we know what Paul's talking about, and Paul's wound up about it. That's why it's a big run-on sentence. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and this is God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness excuse me, of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we understand why Paul could get so wound up and have this long run-on sentence. What this scripture contains is so deep, so wonderful, so glorious, so full of God-honoring truth, and and we long to have it just wash over us and give us uh, hope and joy to give us purpose to glorify you and to serve you in all that we do. Lord, I do pray today that if there are any here that don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, there'd be no issues uh, that would be disruptions or interruptions that would cause anything to detract from the gospel message, the word of truth about Jesus Christ, and that the Spirit would touch the hearts of lost people and bring them from death to life, that they would put their hope in you for salvation. Lord, for those of us that are saved, may we just glory in this truth. May we just love it. May we walk out of here with our feet barely touching the ground. We're just so filled with happiness and joy. And help us to be humble that you would have done this for us. Your son, the darling of heaven, crucified for us. It's beyond words, Father. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we finished up a series called Getting Lost. It was kind of a rough ending. Last week was interesting. Uh, we had some problems with, uh, well, we got rain. That's not a problem, right? But then we had some technology problems, and Brother Shannon was just stepping all over himself up here, and it was just a struggle. And I told some folks last week, um, and I've, I've said this a couple of times. I feel like that Satan was doing battle. Last, it, was, it was a spiritual battle. Because we all understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I've, I feel like last week, I mean, I know we can say, well, it was just lightning. I understand. But uh, Satan hates the gospel. He loves for people to be lost. And I'm thankful that um, we had to have another Sunday. For folks to come and hear the gospel. So getting lost was all about what exactly what it's about. How did we as a human race get lost? 
We talked about where it all started with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we determined from the scriptures that because Adam sinned, we all sinned. And so we're all guilty of Adam's sin and we're worthy of his same punishment, which is physical death. And that death didn't come immediately, but spiritual death came immediately. And so we're all dead in trespasses and sins until Christ, uh, we are reborn in Christ. Furthermore, lost people are morally corrupt to a radical degree such that they are completely unwilling to know God, to love God, to serve God, to obey God. Furthermore, they're unfriendly and hostile toward God and they're therefore unable to know Him, seek Him, love Him, obey Him. And furthermore, Satan has blinded the eyes of people to the world, to their sin and to the truth of the gospel. And so some people... All lost people are unable to know and seek and love and obey God because they're bound in their sin and blind. And God grieves over lost people in their sin. He hates. And I know this is hard to hear this, but it's what the Bible says. God hates the wicked. He hates them and their sin. God's at enmity with the wicked because of their sin. God feels wrath toward the wicked because of their sin. And if you remain in a lost state and pass into eternity, never repenting of your sin and never turning to Christ for salvation, what awaits you is death, judgment, separation, and punishment, eternal punishment. But that is not the end of the story. We know this. That's what the Bible tells us. It tells us the truth about who we are and the truth about who God is and about what He's done for us in Jesus Christ. So this new series that we're in just dovetails with the last one. The last series was getting lost. This one is getting saved. We're going to talk about the gospel. And the ultimate goal in this particular series is to see from the scriptures all the things that I just listed that we talked about that I preached on on the Getting Lost series. In this series, we're going to look at how did Jesus Christ in His life, in His death, His resurrection, His work, how did He address and fix every one of those things? So just like we started in the first series, the first uh, sermon was called Where It All Started. It started in the Garden of Eden. And now we're going to start, where does it all start? When we talk about getting saved, where does it start? Well, you remember a few years ago we went through the book of Jonah and when he was in the belly of the great fish, Jonah had this epiphany because he was, I mean, he for all intents and purposes disobeyed God and should have been just dead in his trespasses and sins. However, God, he prayed and cried out to God and God saved him. And in the belly of the great fish, Jonah quoted Psalm 3.8 and he said this, Salvation belongs to the Lord. So where does it all start? It starts with God. Salvation begins with God, and it is through Christ. As you look at this morning's text, you'll see either in Christ, in Him, through Christ, through His blood, over and over and over. Salvation does not start with us. It starts with God, and salvation is through Christ alone. There is no other way under heaven by which men and women lost in their sins can be saved. So there's four points I want to bring out from this morning's text that help us to understand where salvation starts. First point is this, God purposed to save through Jesus Christ. 
God determined to. He decided to. He wholeheartedly desired to save lost people. Which, if you stop and think about what all I just listed, what all the things that being lost means, what a wonder that God would stoop to think about us and to give His only begotten Son for us. But in the kindness of his heart, God wholeheartedly desired to save. In this text, we see evidence that God purposed to save through Christ. First of all, we see the word purpose. Purpose indicates that God had a goal. God had an aim. There was a desired outcome to which God was going to work. We see the word purpose both in verses 5 and 11. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of His will. And then in verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God has a goal, an aim to save through Christ. God wills to save. Look again in verse 5 and 11. We see uh, when it mentions about uh, mentions God's purpose at the end of verse 5, it says according to the purpose of His will. God is fully committed to saving. Verse 11 uh, speaks of purpose again, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God wills to save. He is fully committed to it. Also, there's choice. Look at verse 4. It says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, God chose to save. God was, no one took God, and God as a spirit does not have a body like us. We understand this. No one grabbed God by the arm and twisted it and said, You've got to save us. Who could do that? Instead, God chose to save. God also works to save. Look again in verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things. God said, I'm not just going to plan. I'm going to put in the labor. I'm going to labor according to the plan that I have. Then also, and and this doesn't show up in the ESV. If you have a New American Standard, I think, Brooke, you've got an LSB. It shows up in here. Verse 9, instead of using the word purpose, it uses the word kind, uh, good pleasure or kind intention. In other words, God's not a robot. God is pleased to show kindness and to do good to lost people. But then notice also what the verse says in verse 4. Before the foundation of the world. God purposed to save in Christ before the foundation of the world. Understand, it's not a plan B. It's not after the fall of humanity, God's walking around like, what am I going to do now? Oh my goodness. God purposed to save through Christ before the foundation of the world. So God purposed to save through Christ, but also God planned 
to save through Christ. It's one thing to say, you know, one day I'm going to go to Montana, right? Mary Catherine just got back from Montana uh, last Sunday. She says, beautiful up there. I've heard about it. Um, y'all went up to Mount Rushmore, right? Uh, Rodney, you went up to, y'all went up to Mount. I've heard it's beautiful up there. I plan to go. I, I would like to go. My purpose is to go one day. But until I actually make a plan and execute that plan, it's just, sounds nice. But God made a plan. God had a plan to save through Christ. That's, what's, that's what verse 10 says. Notice it says, as a plan. For the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God planned. Salvation was not going to be a coincidental affair. It wasn't going to be haphazard. There was going to be a plan that shows forethought, design, careful attention to detail, a timetable, a schedule. God planned to save through Christ. He had a plan. And that plan, verse 8 tells us, had wisdom and insight, which he lavished on us, verse 8 says, in all wisdom and insight. God's plan would put on display his infinite wisdom and knowledge. When it says insight, God was able to look upon lost people and not have to scratch his head and wonder... What is it that they need? God had depth of insight into the condition of lost people and knew exactly, according to wisdom, what they would need. Furthermore, God's plan was according to the counsel of His will. Look in verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The counsel of His will. The wisdom of God and the will of God worked together in perfect harmony. And again, before the foundation of the world, God planned to save through Jesus Christ. He purposed before the foundation of the world. He planned before the foundation of the world. Not haphazard in any way. Y'all remember that Johnny Cash song where he takes the big lunchbox to the auto factory? Y'all remember that? Anybody? Okay, good. I want to be the, young, the younger of you older people who re- remember this. He carried a lunchbox to work with him and he worked in the auto factory. And year after year, day after day, he would he'd bring out a part of a car with the aim that when he got all the parts, he was going to put that car together. Well, the problem was the The parts of the car were all of different years, right? That's what makes the song so funny. But you realize over the course of thousands of years, God worked His plan and everything fit. There was not one haphazard, undone thing in God's plan so that... Paul, in another letter, Romans chapter 11, after he has detailed in the first 11 chapters how glorious salvation is and how God worked in all of it, he says, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches 
of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. Because before the foundation of the world, our saving God purposed and planned to save. Well, now let's look at God's plan to save. He planned to save, but there's a plan, and it's, it's here in the text. And I've tried to put this in, in some semblance of order, I think, chronologically. Perhaps this works. Uh, perhaps it needs some tweaking, but I think it will serve for us. The first one is, everybody take a deep breath, and <gasps> election, predestination. Now, it says choose, in verse 4, he chose us, verse 4. Then in verse um, 5, it says he predestined us. And then in verse 11, it says having been predestined. Okay? Now, let's just stop right here and say this. You can have, underneath the Baptist umbrella, different understandings of what that means. Okay? However, we cannot cut this out of our Bibles. God chose. God predestined. You may think of it differently than I think of it. I may think of it differently than you think of it. All I ask is that we justify our stance on the basis of Scripture. And if we can do that, we can arrive at different conclusions and still say salvation belongs to the Lord. But it does say here that God chose. He predestined. He determined the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46.10. God, through Isaiah, tells His people about Himself, saying, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. We have to, from a theological standpoint, say that God knows is in, and, in, and is sovereign over all things. He says that here. I declare it. I'm sovereign. What I design to happen will happen. The second thing we see in the plan is proclamation. Now, we didn't see that word in the text, but you see it, or it's alluded to in verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, Okay? So God will not save apart from the proclamation of the gospel message in Jesus Christ alone. Does not happen. This is how God planned it to work. After proclamation, if people hear and believe and trust in Jesus, then what comes next is justification. Justification is a legal term. It simply is a declaration of righteousness. Okay? I show up in a court of law. There are charges leveled against me. There are charges that have perfect evidence. It is an open and shut case. I should simply be declared guilty and shipped off to jail. However, there is an advocate for me. And that advocate um, lives a perfect life on my behalf. This is Jesus. He never sins. He always obeys. And instead of me being punished for my sin, then God punishes Christ for my sin. He imputes or places my sin on him, and then he places or imputes Christ's righteousness on me. 
So because Christ always obeyed, when I am justified, it's like I've always obeyed. Because Christ never sinned, because His righteousness is imputed to me, it is as if I have never sinned. And that is only done. Justification only happens through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because it was Christ's blood that was shed for redemption. A price had to be paid for sin. That price was death. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And until the sin is remitted, there's no chance of redemption. And redemption simply is paying a price to purchase. At one point, all lost people were slaves to unrighteousness. Slaves to the devil. And when we were bought with the precious blood of Christ, it paid the rents and we were set free and redeemed. Next part of God's plan is adoption. We see that in verses 5 and 14. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption. Now you don't really see the word adoption in verse 14, but you see the word inheritance. Only a member of the family will get an inheritance. So adoption and inheritance go together. So God saves His people and He adopts them. He justifies them and then He brings them into the family. Next, He sanctifies them. God's plan includes sanctification. A sanctification, we see this in two ways. We see it as marking off as a possession. You notice in verse 13... It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That was God's mark on His people. But then also, sanctification means making holy. It's replacing uncleanness and unrighteousness with righteousness and holiness. And in verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing in the heavenly places, so that, and I'm, gonna, I'm skipping ahead to the end of verse 4, so that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God has given us everything we could possibly need to walk before Him in holiness and blamelessness. He's given us of His Spirit. God's plan includes preservation. It's in verse 14 as well. We don't see the word preservation, but it says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? In other words, we're going to persevere. We're going to be preserved in our salvation until the day when we take possession of our inheritance. So it speaks of the preservation of believers and also the preservation of the inheritance that Peter says in his book, first chapter of Peter, that it's undefiled and it's waiting for us. Finally, God's plan to save through Christ includes glorification. We see that in verse 10. We don't see the word glorification, but we see that God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. One day... Christ's feet will touch this earth. One day judgment will be complete. One day there will be no sin, no death, and God's people will be with Him forever. And we look forward to that. 
So that's expressing glorification positively. God will put all things right in heaven and earth, including us, that we might enjoy Him forever. But we also tend to think of glorification negatively. We say it like this. When I'm justified, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. When I'm sanctified, I'm being saved from the power of sin. And when I'm glorified, I'm saved from the presence of sin. But there's more than that. We get to be with God forever. We get to experience His glory. We're almost home. We're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Praise the Lord. We're almost home. We'll get to see His glory. Finally, God's purposes in saving Christ. This is short, almost done. God's purposes in saving through Christ. First purpose. God purposes, God's purposes in saving through Christ. First, so the redeemed would experience His love. See it in verse 5. Actually, it's, it's in the first part of verse, last part of verse 4. It says, in love. In the ESV, that there's a period before in love. So capital letter, in love. So here's a sentence. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Why did God, what was one of God's purposes in saving through Christ? So that people would experience His love. You know, it says in 1 John 4, 8, if anyone, does not, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God wanted people to experience His love. It says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Titus 3, 4, and 5. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by, by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God purposed to save so we could experience His love. But finally, God purposed to save so we would praise His glory. Let's be reminded of this. Salvation is God-centered. Salvation is God-centered. The redeemed receive the benefits. God receives all the glory. Three times in the text it talks about to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. Salvation is God-centered. He saves so that people might glorify Him and praise His glory. You know, even you could say this whole text here is Paul praising God's glory for salvation. In Romans eleven thirty six, 36, Paul says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things... To Him be glory forever. Amen. 2 Samuel 2, 7, 
23, And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name? God was concerned for His glory. Acts 15, 14. This is when they realize what God has done for the Gentiles, that even they have salvation. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. So often, salvation just ends with us, and it's supposed to go through us to the praise of God's glory. So we come to a time of response. If you're not a Christian, you have a response here. Salvation is God-centered, God-wrought, but listen, you have a response. In verse 13 it says, In Him you, you also, when you heard, heard, the, the, I should read. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is what I've been preaching. The word of truth, the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Your response is to hear. To hear and have it prick your heart. Convince you of its truth. So that, as verse 12 says, you might hope in Christ. And see, this is not, this is not a myth. This is true. God really will save a person like me in Christ. Yes, He will. He's pleased to do that. And if you will do what verse 13 says, if you will believe in Him, God will accomplish His salvation in you. He does it from beginning to end. But I need to tell you something. God won't hear for you. God won't hope in Christ for you. And God won't believe you. you have to hope in Christ. You have to hear and you have to believe. But if you're a Christian, after you've heard all of this, how can we not worship the Lord today? How can we not glory in Him, praise Him, have hope in Him, and proclaim this gospel to people? And I have to tell us again, just like I told folks that, that you may be lost. If you're a Christian, God will not worship for you. God will not praise for you. God will not glorify Himself for you. God will not hope for you. God will not proclaim for you. Having such a great salvation as Christians, our lives ought to just explode with gospel. Just gospel everywhere. Praising the gospel, glorying in the gospel, hoping in the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, worshiping God because of the gospel. We're going to have a moment here. We're going to sing, um, Be Unto Your Name. There's an opportunity here for two things to happen, at least two. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you, come forward this morning and let me tell you how you can receive Christ. And secondly, if you're a Christian, this song, oh man, let this song connect your heart with the heart of God. Having heard what you've heard, you just need to let it out. So let's sing together, Be Unto Your Name. Let's stand together.
is good. God is good. Um, we have a school year starting off, and uh, we'd like to use this time for our prayer time this morning. I know there's prayer updates, but and I know it's five after. But you guys, you're used to Aggie waywardness, right? Um, I know Steph would value your prayers. She said, can I share? She said, I want to live for the praise of his glory at school. Um, so if you're a teacher, uh, we'd love to pray for you right now. Um, we realize tomorrow's a big day. If you want to come down, um, I'll say a, a prayer over you. And if anybody else wants to come down, so I know you want to come down, right? Okay, so you'll, you'll get the water flowing here. Any other teacher want to come down and be prayed over? School nurses, everybody. If you're, if you're, if you're, anybody who's starting school on, on Monday and wants to live to the praise of God's glory, we do want to pray for you. Anybody else wants to come down, you're welcome to it. Well, you just join in where you're sitting and we'll lift up these teachers and administrators and staff and everybody. Father, we, we, we understand how crucial um, school districts are. Uh, they are a battleground uh, for truth. There's so many different presentations of truth that can happen, uh, both from teachers and from students. And we pray, God, for Christian teachers, administrators, staff members, in this, the schools represented here, that they might be on fire for you. We pray for the students, God, that, that their hearts would be uh, tied to you, that they would long for you, that they would want to know more about you, that they would want to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ any time they get the opportunity. And Lord, I know that I, I trust if these teachers are like me that there's, there's work that you have to do in their lives. I know you continue to work in my life. So whatever, Lord, you need to do in their lives in order to, to display your glory more in them, we pray that you would do it. We trust you with that work because you always are good in what you do. So I pray for a blessed year, a wonderful year. Protect our school from COVID. Uh, and I just pray for success. But Lord, more than anything, I pray that it would be obvious that you are being honored and glorified and praised at these individual campuses. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and say together the Great Commission and we'll be dismissed. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end 